Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Before the episode, let me quickly tell you about my new book. It's titled Measures of Success. It's a book that will help you react less to your performance metrics, every up and down in those. It'll help you lead better. It'll help you improve more. So you can learn more about the book by going to www.measuresofsuccessbook.com or you can search Amazon. It's available as a print book, a Kindle book. It's available through Apple Books. I hope you'll check it out. Hi, this is Mark Raven. If you like this podcast, you might realize I have a blog, leanblog.org. Did you also know that I have another podcast called Lean Blog Audio? And there I basically, occasionally, or as often as I can, I read audiobook style versions of blog posts. So you can go to leanblog.org slash audio or search in your favorite podcast place for Lean Blog Audio. I hope that'll give you something else uh, that's food for thought, something else to help you in your lean journey. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 258 of the podcast for August 2nd, 2016. Joining me today is somebody who's been a guest many times here. He is Jim Hunsinger, the president and founder of Lean Frontiers. And you can go back and check out episodes 8, 15, 33, 196, and most recently, episode 251, which was audio of Jim interviewing Russ Scafidi. And I'm hoping Russ will actually be a guest on the podcast uh, sometime later this year. Now, Jim has written two ebooks. The first is titled The Roots of Lean, Training Within Industry, The Origin of Japanese Management and Kaizen. And the second is Deflation, The Road to Prosperity. And we'll talk about that second book and topic in the podcast today. We're also going to talk a bit about the lean accounting and lean management topics. Um, these are the focus of two upcoming summits being held jointly in San Antonio, August 25th and 26th. I hope you can join us. I'll be there giving a talk on the topic of practicing lean to kick off the event, and I'll be around that whole day. You know, lean Frontiers has many great events that they produce throughout the year. I hope you'll get to check one out sometime. You can go to www.leanfrontiers.com to learn more. Jim, thanks for being a guest on the podcast today. Looking back at uh, the history here, this is actually uh, your fifth time uh, being interviewed here on the podcast. This is going back uh, to our first one back in 2006, then, and then back in episode 251 was actually some audio you shared of yourself and Russ Scafidi talking. So thank you uh, for once again being a guest here on the podcast. Well, thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. I um, well, I, it's hard to believe that it was ten years ago that we did the first one. It's episode number eight in uh, <laughs> October two thousand and six. So, um, we have a, a lot of interesting and new things to talk about here today. For for people who um, aren't familiar with you and Lean Frontiers, can you kind of first off um, reintroduce yourself or introduce yourself and Lean Frontiers for the listeners? Sure. Uh, Jim Hunsinger, obviously with Lean Frontiers, and uh, what Lean Frontiers is, is our organization is we're focused on putting on conferences and, in essence, really trying to build communities around niche subjects under the Lean, uh, Lean Enterprise. So we started off uh, actually um, over 10 years ago with the Lean Accounting Summit in 2005, 
and and then also started in 2007 the TWI summit, and then over the years have grown into a variety of um, events around uh, Lean HR, um, uh, Lean Management Summit, the Cata Summit, um, coaching summit that we do jointly with Lean Enterprise Institute, and even doing a, a summit overseas on TWI and actually expanding it into Cata as well. So just really trying to build and develop communities and the knowledge and the learning around the different subject matters under the lean enterprise. So we're going to, I think, recap some uh, or kind of talk about some updates of some topics that we've uh, been talking about sure. for over 10 years here. But I think one of the other topics that uh, I think we haven't talked about in previous podcasts is, is something you've written about um, you, you've shared with me uh, in, in the past and have something published on what you call the deflationary economy and the lean business model. So, you know, first off, you know, as to delve into this, what do you mean by deflationary economy? Yeah, I guess um, is this is there's there's obviously there's two kind of two definitions to a deflationary economy. One is uh, in, from classical economics, which is uh, is the decrease of the value of currency due to due to manipulation or the, the increase of the money and credit supply that's classic economics more contemporary definition what's used more more uh, more today is um, deflation as a decrease in the general price level of goods and services services due to productivity improvements and that's what I'm really talking about here not the not the classic one although that is is important but the more contemporary one so the decrease of the price of goods and services due to productivity improvements, that's certainly where the lean business model rolls in because there's no better um, business model out there that accomplishes that than the lean business model. So that's the kind of the intimate direct link between the two and really kind of where the importance lies with that link. The norm, or you know, correct me if I'm wrong in this, the, the norm, at least in modern times, has been to have a slightly inflationary economy where a little bit of inflation is considered to be a good thing, not too much inflation like the late 70s or like we see in some countries around the world. Is is, is that the case or what? what's the difference or what, what what's the impact? Would you consider a slightly deflationary economy through productivity improvement to be better, to be a good thing? Yeah, I guess it would be this and this would and this this could be a probably a whole series of podcasts on its own. This subject matter is is currently and for the last um, really 100 years in the United States, we've had an inflationary orientated uh, economy. If you look at things historically, and I've, I've, I've done a lot of research on this, some of that's in, in the writing I've done on deflation, but also overall uh, economics, is if you look at the history of the United States, actually all the way back to colonial America, and I've got data back to the mid-17th uh, century to about uh, 1660, we actually had the prices of goods and services stayed flat, generally speaking, um, up until about 100 years ago, up till around 1910, 1915, and that's when prices started increasing. So the role with that is, the way the deflationary aspect of that is, but over that time from the mid-1600s up to before uh, prices started increasing, people's incomes increased, which is why we're such a wealthy country is even though prices stayed flat, generally speaking, people's income increased. So that in a way kind of creates what I, creates what I call quasi-deflationary economy, mm -hmm. even though prices are, are staying level, 
um, people's income are going up. But in the last 100 years, we've had our incomes going up along with prices going up. So in essence, we left, we've left a lot of wealth on the table as a result of that. Yeah, because I mean, if incomes are rising, yes, but prices are high or purchasing power has not gone up. So, and this is where you know uh, people talk about what something uh, a Coke bottle of Coke used to cost fifteen cents or something that they you would know, say, well, that's like two dollars in today's money. Yes, or, you know whatever the inflationary factor is over time, right? Yeah, whatever the inflationary factor is over time. So certainly we've gotten more wealthy just because our our uh, income has gone up higher than than the inflationary rate, and you know most of the time over the last 100 years. But again, the downside of that is if prices would have stayed flat, then you know we'd have the same income as we do today, but it would have much more buying power. But the, the other interesting other interesting phenomenon I've in the research I've done on this is anytime you have a anytime you have a productive society, which of course in the United States. We do actually the most productive society in the history of the world is you should always have the phenomenon going on of either prices are staying flat so people's incomes are are you know people any people's incomes are going up or prices are going down along with people's incomes going up or some variation of those two but in the last 100 years we've had our incomes going up but also prices going up and based on a, a, a natural economy. That does not. That would not happen. Which is what we show when I look at things. Or what I found when I look at things historically, from at least 1660, that my data goes back to until about 1910, is prices were flat as people's incomes go up because of productivity of uh, that went on, and that certainly accelerated as we came into the industrial revolution and as mm -hmm. we came into the 20th century. Um, that productivity really started increasing at a very substantial rate. Yeah, because that, that productivity was caused by, uh, or a lot of it um, came from technology, transportation, yeah. electricity, computers. Yeah, a lot yeah. of technology, but but ultimately all of that came out of human ingenuity. So all sure. technology is actually the you know the 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 most ideally, and again, being in the lean community, we we know this is the most pri the, the most prized asset and the most Im improvable asset is people as humans. So as you do that, as you develop, and that's what the that's again the linkage with the lean business model. Develop people that they can they can be much more productive, can be much more creative, can solve problems uh, better at a quicker pace. Then the result of that is a substantial increase in productivity. So if you take our increase in productivity, which again, um, since the colonial period we've we've had, and it's certainly accelerated substantially in the last 150 years in particular. Um, if you can put a business model that uh, that accentuates that, then you're just going to end up being that much more productive, and eventually, you know, creating that much more wealth, having that much more of a robust society for mm -hmm. everyone. So, is is there a difference though um, in the dynamics? Uh, let's say, you know, if a handful of companies in in industry, uh, let's say one amongst ten competitors really embraces lean as not just a production model, uh, production system, but a business model. They are able to significantly reduce their costs. They improve quality. Um, they reduce lead times, improve delivery performance, all the things we would expect to see from lean. If you have one company in that market, I guess, you know, if they're if they're able to charge the same market price and they have lower costs, they have higher profit. Yes. Um, 
does that company then tend to try to offer a lower price to gain market share, knowing that they can be profitable, that, that, that they're going to sort of try to drive down the market price within that industry? They can, and I guess the 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 advantage, and even a more broad advantage, and you you bring up the very good point is, when companies do that, if the company in their particular market become lean and their competitors aren't, or certainly aren't as quickly as they have, it gives them multiple options. So what these options are is what you said. They can certainly lower the price by keeping you know the same margins, and obviously that's an advantage. They could actually you know if the market wants it, they can keep the same price, but they're getting a higher margin. Um, per you know the products or services they sell than their competitors, so they're develop you know developing more you know capital that they can they can utilize in a variety of ways, um, and sometimes they can even drop the market price while still even increasing their margin compared to their competitors. So it gives a very it gives a much more flexibility for an organization, and when you have that type of flexibility, you know that creates a lot of um, you know power, particularly over the long term on how you can run your business and how you can adjust with you know market changes and market dynamics mm -hmm. and that's and that's key and, and one place to look at that where we saw that phenomenon happen to a certain degree was certainly in automotive certainly in automotive just from an overall competitive standpoint we also saw the phenomenon happen when uh, the recession hit back in 08 and 09 um, just what the position was that uh, you know in this case Toyota versus a couple of their competitors were in at the time that market hit I mean when that hit certainly Toyota didn't like it because it, mm -hmm. it dug into them but they were positioned to weather that at a much more robust level and so you know kind of thinking through dynamics within an industry let's say you know more organizations more of those competitors are getting on board with lean they're also reducing cost and improving performance mm -hmm. Where, where's the balance or what's the dynamic you know, if we say on the one hand, value is defined by the customer, prices are set by the market. Yeah. There, there's, there's also sort of that dance of like, well, if, if people are offering a lower price and the quality is as good or better, people are going to go to that. So is, is, is this where if uh, lean starts becoming more the, the, the predominant way of doing things in an industry, whether it's automotive or other industries, um, are, are, is there, is there going to be downward pressure on on price all all other things being equal i mean car prices haven't come down arguably we're getting more value we're getting more features sure. from from our vehicles i mean what what happens you know with within an industry as lean really becomes to take hold or what would happen in you know if nationally if if lean were to become you know the new conventional wisdom is, is that where you start getting into those deflationary pressures yeah, and, and actually, and that, your question you're asking is a great question because there's two two dynamics, two significant dynamics there, and I'll you know see if I can discuss them. So one is um, is that's why, and that's one of the reasons I you know one of the reasons I got interested in looking at the economic side of things is you have two things. Is one you have the the macroeconomic picture. So as as we talked earlier, where we actually um, have a inflationary in a way macroeconomic picture that the United States has been uh, working with for the past 100 years. So that that from a macro level does push up the prices of goods and services, and that's really from the classical sense of uh, deflation or inflation in this case, where there's um, there's there's not a standard from the from the monetary in a way that's ran. So if you have more dollars in the in the system, then the prices are going to go up just because there's more dollars as a commodity, more dollars chasing the same number of products. So that's one. That's a upward 
um, pressure for the price. Obviously, what you're talking about from a lean perspective, that certainly does put a downward pressure from the things we talked about as well as, gee, if, if I could produce a uh, product at, the, at a lower cost for myself or since have higher margins, um, that's going to put a downward pressure. But also, too, the other results out of that are, gee, not only can I produce it at a lower cost, but I also can pr produce a higher quality product or service, and I also could have more features on it. So again, that puts two things. That puts downward pressure potentially, but you also have the upward pressure of the macroeconomic, um, I guess, functionality that's going on. Um, and also, too, t products will tend to go up in price, but not all products, and I'll give an example, will tend to go up price. Like you said, cars. Cars have certainly gone up in price, and you're right, the the value of the car, the functions and features and quality and performance have all increased um, as well, even though we're paying more of a price, although you'd have to look at uh, in an inflation calculator to see how much they've gone up per what they were you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and the value of the dollar. But there are other products that the, the opposite is going on, even though we have a generally inflationary economy. One of them, a good example, is your television. Um, you know, I'm paying the same, you know, probably around the same price for a television that I did even five or ten years ago, a TV that's substantially bigger, a substantially higher quality of the picture. I mean, I look at it, when I see old tube TVs now, I sit there like a sporting event, and I think, gee, how did, it, how did we ever watch that? It's so grainy, <laughs> you know, ten, five, ten, twenty years ago, plus all the features on a TV, um, you know, Internet access, you know, hooking up your computer to it and, and uh, just all kinds of features. So that's certainly electronics is one, even in our macro inflationary economy, where the prices have gone down or again, stayed level with substantially better offerings. Right. And, and, and arguably not because of lean, but just because yeah. of technology advancement, can competitive yes. pressures. Yes. So it's a, I mean, there's a lot of competition in the TV space. Some companies are getting out of the TV business because it's been a very low margin um, yeah, business. Yeah, very, very low margin. Years. Yeah, essentially. Well, so for a, a you know a thirty-two inch TV, now you could go to you know Meyer, Walmart, other places, and buy a thirty-two inch TV um, for you know high definition TV for you know one hundred and fifty dollars. You know, 10, 10 years ago, a TV smaller than that would have cost you more than that, of lower quality and lower features. So, it's, so the, the dynamics can be very, are a lot of times very dependent on the particular um, industry that you're looking at. So, our, let's, so let's say you know, everybody got lean and we're, we're having you know, big increases in productivity. Um, do, are there problems, are there downsides to a deflationary economy? What happens in terms of people's um, salaries? You know, would, would companies, instead of being under pressure to increase wages, is it, would, they, would there be pressure to try to decrease wages? That's, that's got to be tough psychologically. Are there, are there problems, let's say, at the housing market if there's deflation, if there's general uh, deflationary pressure in an economy? I mean, what, what are some of the problems it, say, is, if the if the deflate if the deflationary economy is driven by productivity improvements, um, that will not be a problem. Now, can you have can you have singular instances where things like that can happen? Sure. I mean, especially in a in a in a country like we live with 350 million people, and and you know you go to different cities or different states, 
you know, the local economy is different. The buying power is mm -hmm. different, you know, in, uh, uh, from around Los Angeles, California to where I live in central Indiana and things like that. So those can happen. But overall, from an aggregate level, you will not have that problem, which, again, when I went back and looked at the historical data of the United States is where you, you did see you saw you saw um, the prices of goods and services being flat, but people's income going up. So even though the prices or your costs are going down, and that's just it. So with the re and with lean, again, this relates back to lean business model. With the lean business model, you are decreasing your cost of doing it, but you're not decreasing, um, in a sense, you're not de decreasing the, the amount you pay your people, whether they're salary or hourly, right. hourly, what you're getting is you're getting a higher productivity out of them. So, so you're getting more output per person because you have this system and you develop these people to have that capability. So if pr prices going down, um, you know, actually cause people to be poorer, you would not have countries like the United States or European countries or rising, you know, economies like in Hong Kong or South Korea or, or even in China now where people's incomes are going up. So what people so if you look at the United States, the productivity, United States, generally speaking, has higher productivity than any place in the world, although we also are some of the highest people paid in the world as well. So it's really a function of productivity. Now, the downside of that is, again, is from a deflationary is looking at the classical um, definition of where, you, in a sense, you're manipulating the, the um, currency, increasing the amount of currency, which so if you have some money in savings and uh, there's a, the amount of currency and credit is increased, your buying power that you have saved is um, going down potentially at a faster rate than maybe the interest rate you're getting, and particularly now when interest rates are low. Mm -hmm. So really, there's, almost, there's those two different functions. Deflationary through productivity improvements is a good thing for everybody overall, and especially over, over time. Um, like I said, but you'll always be able to find, a, find one-offs, but those are usually due to some other circumstances versus uh, a classical deflationary where we're actually devaluing the currency. Yeah. So what you're saying is you know, productivity driven deflation, um, I guess it would be a set of circumstances where companies are reducing costs. They wouldn't feel the need the, 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 or pressure to squeeze their employees. And, yeah. and I guess some of the you know, wages are driven by their own labor market. If there's a competitive yeah. labor market, um, what you're saying is uh, this this lean world, if you will, could have increasing wages, reduce costs, lower prices. Yeah. I mean, that, that creates wealth and prosperity for people. Yeah, it's wealth and prosperity. Yeah. And that's a good point is usually labor, uh, uh, labor cost or what people are paying for labor is a local phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Certainly there's some level of impact at a, at a grander scale, but generally that's a local phenomenon. So again, for example, um, uh, you know, what you're going to pay somebody and, uh, in rural Iowa is going to be lower maybe per hour and actually even a salaried person for that matter than what you might have to pay somebody if they live in in downtown Chicago even though they 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 may make a higher salary in downtown Chicago the buying power is is lower just because the prices there locally for housing and and transportation or other things even maybe food is higher so again usually those are local phenomenons that are going on all right, so um, let, let's talk, maybe shift, talking about some of the current state of lean accounting. Sure. And you know, I would invite people, I mean, we, we touched on this all the way back in episode eight. You know, people can find if they go to leanblog.org slash 
eight. Um, but you know, if you can give sort of a recap, real briefly, around you know what is lean accounting and where has that movement come in the last ten years? What's some of the current state of lean accounting? Let's say so. I'd say lean. Lean accounting, and I want to say these are, I'm giving very general definitions, but lean accounting is, you know, about um, how you change your accounting practices in order to better give information and uh, particularly, but not exclusively, financial information to your organization so it can make good and valid decisions. So there's things like value stream costing is maybe somewhat at the center of that and techniques that are used that are different from traditional um, costing like overhead costing and things like that that just simply give you a more accurate representation financially of what are things actually costing you and that's obviously good to know you want accurate information so another aspect of it that's that's been around the lean com accounting community is what we call accounting for lean um, so what that is, is 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 related but it's really about how how are the people in your in maybe that uh, in your accounting um, staff how are they providing, again, information that is helping the organization make good decisions? And a lot of times that may not necessarily be financial information or not direct financial information. So it's really fundamentally around at least accounting, accounting for lean or lean accounting is how can we, how can we in the accounting part of the business, how can we give the rest of the business information that's valuable and useful for them to make good decisions as they work on the business in all aspects. Um, if you're in manufacturing and operations, but it could be in sales, um, it could be in, in purchasing and other things. We want accurate, valid information mm -hmm. that's uh, you know as real time as we can get to make good decisions. So I'd say the state of the lean accounting community is this. There's still there's much wider range than we would have been 10 years ago because there are some companies now that have. Uh, have matured in that area uh, pretty substantially, and some that are in the middle of it, and some that are still just beginning. There's certainly a, a broader range that of organizations that are that are doing that. So the one more mature ones now do have a lot of things like do have good value stream costing systems and functions in your organization. And what they're really doing probably now is really expanding it, and that's some that is part of the reason why we started a couple years ago the Lean Management Summit. So the Lean Management Summit is, is again, what are these management systems that companies um, use or should be using, I guess, in, in the Lean organization in order to better manage the overall business? So things like Hoshin Conry or this year we're going to have some, some talks on target costing, which, yeah, that's somewhat financially related, but it's really more looking at are we reaching the thresholds of the market from, again, a pricing standpoint and our margin needs as an organization? And what are some of the tools and techniques and infrastructure that we need in our organization in order to do that effectively and, and move that information through the organization where it's needed, when it's needed? Mm -hmm. So that's what some of the more mature companies are working on. And again, that's one reason why we've coupled the Lean Management Summit with the Lean Accounting Summit, because it's a lot of those people that have been involved in the Lean Accounting community are the ones going, hey, we, we need to know how we do this, these other practices in our organizations in order to be more effective at the broad um, lean enterprise standpoint. Yeah. And, and, and let's give uh, some quick details about the summit. Um, in August in San Antonio, I'll be speaking, by the yeah. way. So, yeah, so we got, people we got two tremendous keynotes, you being one of them. Um, 
and you're going to you're going to talk about just a you know a reflection of, of what you've seen over the past 20 years uh, a way of kind of how the community's grown matured and has yet to grow and mature as well and yeah, the, the broader going, lean community yeah because i i'm barely conversational in lean accounting but <laughs> yeah from that standpoint and the other one is going to be steve brenneman who's actually the ceo of a, a company called aluminum trailer company he's the ceo and also founder of this company and he's he's him and actually even their organization is definitely one of the up-and-coming organizations that have, have been really working hard on how do we become a lean enterprise so just not things with lean accounting or they certainly doing things with TWI training within industries and other things and even in their IT but really how does this all this stuff work within those different silos but also how do all these integrate with each other so we do act at a very effective level um, some of the things we were talking about earlier that we want to get the lean enterprise to do how do we how do we really become a really robust organization in all facets of our business so he's going to talk from that standpoint yeah and the the dates again this is in san antonio uh such a great place to visit um august 25th and 26th the lean accounting summit the lean management summit there's there's some overlap and then there's some breakout into different tracks correct yeah some some overlap so there's there's there'll be two they'll run concurrently so there's two tracks for the lean accounting summit and two tracks for the lean management summit and the day the day uh, prior to it the august 24th is a workshop day but people people can register for either summit and they're free to go and attend um, you know whichever session they like and that's something nice about it because you can get a variety you know of topics under both you know lean accounting um, and lean management and there's some overlap as well as with just intermingling with people i mean that's a big part of you know, building the community is we want people to get to know each other, network with each other, talk with each other, not just during the two or three days of the summit, but ideally we really like them to keep those conversations going all year long and learn continually we'll learn from each other. Yeah. And um, we'll, 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 we'll come back and we'll share the website and everything um, sure. at, at the end of the podcast here in a couple of minutes. But um, I did want to kind of come back and talk about when you, you know, you're talking about making decisions with cost accounting that might seem like a really arcane subject to people who aren't yeah. into uh, you know aren't aren't familiar with that i mean i think there are a lot of really practical um, things to consider you know i think i'm a manufacturing company uh what does it cost to make a certain product the easy part of it it seems is the cost of material the cost sure. of direct labor but then it gets really complicated, right? How do you allocate the cost yeah. of the machines? They're producing all sorts of different products. How do you allocate the cost of the building and the electricity and, and all the other overhead, including management? This, this is where cost accounting comes into play. And there's certain assumptions or decisions that lead into someone saying, okay, we think it costs us $72 to make that product. It's profitable or not? Or should we stop making a certain product? Should we expand a certain product line? Those are some of the decisions that people would make in manufacturing, right? Yes. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. That's, I guess, uh, the main, you know, um, differentiation between traditional accounting and lean accounting. You're right. It's really, a lot of it really stems out of the overhead and the allocation process. And that's what companies discover is certainly they, they had pricing and, and internal costs for their products, but what they what they tend to find out is that that information was completely inaccurate. 
So they're making decisions for the business, important decisions, even if they're small or particularly large decisions, based on information that's not accurate. And that's the thing with lean accounting is what it does, it helps you understand um, how to develop a, a system in your, your, your functionality that you do have accurate information about what, what your products and your processes are really costing you. And again, for the goal of, we, we want to make decisions on that, like you, you mentioned, a number of reasons to do it. Do we want to? Do we want to? Should we be actually insourcing um, mm -hmm. some products? Should we be expanding? Where should we be expanding? Um, was this? Um, that's another thing that relates to this. Is this piece of equipment we're c considering? Is it really a good investment or, or not a good investment? That actually even leads into the whole aspect of what I call right designing, um, and actually economies of scale thinking. Is a lot of times we we buy our systems and design our systems for economies of scale and that's the difference with lean is you really want to try to do things at a, at a scale of one how can we have effectively do whatever our, prod, uh, our processes are putting out our product at, a, at as effectively as producing one as ten as a hundred as a thousand and so forth so there's certain you know physical dynamics that you learn about and do well too which also um, again makes you more productive because if you, if you, in a sense, overbuy capacity, and that's what we do traditionally with process overbuy capacity, we have this urge to try to run in order to, we think, falsely bring down the, the cost of it. But actually, we don't. The cost just gets tied up in inventory or poor allocations or in capacity we purchase that ultimately we may not use because maybe the market doesn't grow into that area. Yeah. So that's a whole other aspect of, of in a way, this discussion that's very important as well. And and I think this is an area where healthcare is far behind manufacturing around the question of how much does it cost to do a certain surgical procedure. Um, there are some very easily knowable direct costs, and then there's a lot of overhead to yes, allocate overhead. Um, throughout the health system. So I mean, I think that that's going to become a really important challenge as as we start looking at uh, value-based purchasing, trying to reward uh, people for value and, and trying to steer patients or uh, payers or employers, encouraging people to try to find lower cost care. How do we really determine what's lower cost care and how do hospitals make similar decisions about um, air, you know, what, what uh, you know, lines of uh, service lines that they want to expand or, or get into. Um, you know, hospitals, it's, it's a little bit different than manufacturing because there's a lot of care that hospitals would say we have to provide sure. as opposed to choosing to. But there are a lot of, um, you know, types of procedures and things that are a choice where, um, you know, it seemed like th this is a really interesting frontier for hospitals. Do, have, have you talked to hospitals and health systems about lean accounting or cost accounting and, and things that, that people are trying to do to be able to make better decisions? A, a little bit. I certainly have, you know, actually you're one of them as well, but I certainly have some colleagues that work in healthcare and are trying to work on, on lean, uh, lean activities there. Uh, there hasn't been as much traction from the accounting side um, in healthcare compared to, uh, you know, in manufacturing and even some other service industries as well um, from from the accounting standpoint. And uh, my, my guess, it probably has some and you may, you may be able to articulate some of this as well, probably something to do with the, the functionality, because obviously in healthcare, there's a huge part of that industry is the third-party 
system, the, the payer system, the insurance system, which drives a lot of the you know, financial and accounting procedures and how costs are allocated and moved about. And that's, that's a functionality that's not with when you get into manufacturing and things like that, that they just don't have to deal with that the healthcare system um, is going to have to deal with. But you brought up, you know, a lot of good points. If, if you look at manufacturing, I always call it kind of the 50% rule. If you look at the way you would implement lean from, a, from the way you deploy the, you know, the systems and maybe some of the you know, hardware and all that, really you need 50% la- less capital, 50% less labor. Uh, 50% less facility needs, you know, actually 99% less work in process and higher quality. I think you have a similar, although it's not exactly correlated, but similar situation in healthcare. There's a lot of, uh, uh, in a way, overhead costs that are put in there that they that they gotta, you know, they gotta deal with and allocate um, with that. And could those? And I think there are some some hospital systems that have done some learning. I know ThetaCare is one of them over the years, that they don't have to, in a sense, invest as much in order to get out better and higher quality, you know, for their patients and even safer, healthier care as well. Yeah. Well, and, you know, maybe we'll we'll get to have some good discussions about that with people at the summit. Um, One other topic here, just uh, before we wrap up here, you know, one of the things I'm going to address in my keynote talk, this idea of uh, practicing lean and, yeah. We hopefully we learn by doing. We get better over time. Hopefully we have people mentoring us. Um, you know that we've all made mistakes in our lean journey, and, and we see other people make mistakes. Um, I'm I'm curious. What's your take on you know what what I've dubbed um, you know as as the awkward acronym lame or you know lean yeah. is mistakenly explained or what Bob Emiliani might call fake yeah. lean. Um, you know why why why, why, why do we see that happening? Why, why does that exist? What, what are some of the, if you will, the root causes of uh, these mistakes or, or things that might make us kind of shake our heads a little bit? Yeah, from, from one aspect, and there are many, but one aspect I think is an understanding of capacity and capability. Um, I think a lot of people don't, and it, this, even if you're not lean, I think this is this is a, this this is a problem. Even in, in lean organizations, the problem not really understanding their their capacity. What what can they? What do they have the capability of doing right now? Um, because of capacity, number of people, and that relates into the capability. What are the capability of people? So, we we try to organizations and and really trying to become lean. If you look at things like we want. Um, learning organizations we want people problem solving well that's about that's really addressing both these issues well first before you can address your capacity issues you really got to address capability and that's developing people that's thankfully been a lot of talk in a lot more years is how do we develop people how do we develop people for problem solving so that's important to develop your people for problem solving and this can relate back into the lean management summit how do you develop the infrastructure that allows people to develop their problem-solving skills and utilize those. So once you start doing that with your people, again, people being by far the most important asset, um, and actually every other asset is a result of human activity, um, you develop people's capability in problem-solving and the systems they're working with that allow them to do that better. And when you do that, as a result, you improve your capacity. So in a sense, that's productivity improvement. So not just output of your product, but the output of your people's capability. So as you improve that productivity um, aspect of their capability, your capacity will increase, you know, doing more with less. 
and that's how that's how good lean organizations and you, you could look somebody like a Toyota that they just get so much more out of their people because they've developed their people with better capability and also they've worked on improving the infrastructure those people work in so you get a you know kind of get a double increase of this capacity that you have in your organization um, I related a lot to the pe people that are familiar with Kata Toyota Kata and the work Mike Rother's done there he has a diagram he uses in there one with a target uh, a, your current condition and your target condition and in between there he usually draws kind of a circle is this unclear territory well as you as you help develop your people from a problem-solving standpoint so your ca capacity improves in that area they can traverse that unclear territory more effectively and faster and again that is a learning organization. I call it thriving in that unclear territory where you have your people. We go, we know where we're at. We know we, where we want to get to. We're maybe not quite sure how we're going to get there, but we know we will get there, and we're going to have one heck of a good time doing it. And when we get there, we'll already be able to see that next horizon or that next target condition. And you want to get your people so they thrive in that. And the reason they thrive in there is you have worked with them on developing their, their experience, their skills, their knowledge in order to be successful. And again, back to uh, some of the things we talked about or productivity before and the different aspects you can compare to your or ideally your whole organization functioning in that manner, um, your competitors better beware. So I think understanding those things and that's what you're really trying to achieve and that just not um, reducing cost, just not you're trying to pound people, pound things through your people by increasing output, but giving them the capability to make improvements, the capability to do things, which will by default increase their capacity to achieve things. Mm -hmm. So do you think, is the problem, I mean, one of the causes, I mean, back, you know, back to the topic of lame or fake lean, is, is, does the problem come from organizations not investing enough? in training and developing their people that kind of I mean I see cases where you know people are just thrown out there okay go read a book yeah. take a yeah, online go, class go do lean yeah go do lean yeah go do lean yeah I think that's a big part of it is a lot of times uh, and again this is why it's always important to have you know um, the management on board which has always been the biggest question for all the years I've been around in lean is them understanding their role it's just not about um, to me, this is forcing capacity you don't have. We just need to get it done. Go get it done. But saying we need to get it done, which we do, even in an organization, need to get it done. But what do we what do we need to do to to really achieve that and achieve that effectively? What type of training do our people need? A lot of times that doesn't mean you have to necessarily go pay for them to get training. It's just what are the things we need to work on? And ideally, you want the training to go on with real work. I mean, that's something certain Toyota really tries to strive to do is if we can train our people to become more effective with real work, not only do they learn, but we get real work done. And then, they, again, it increases their capability and, and uh, capacity to get better work done quicker and more effectively. To me, it's a velocity thing. If you can get that velocity, the velocity of that learning there uh, in place you're going to get a velocity of a lot, a lot of your improvements going more effectively. And, and leaders have to understand that. And understand that that does not happen overnight. It does not happen by telling them to go do lean. It happen, happens by them being fully engaged, fully, you know, walking you know, shoulder and shoulder with their people and learning as well and helping to remove those roadblocks. Because they need to learn They need to learn this themselves. Mm -hmm. And a lot of organizations, again, um, 
um, struggle to do that. And it, 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 it isn't easy, and it does take time and persistence. It does. And it, it takes patience. I think that's you know, one of my lessons uh, <laughs> I've tried to learn. I've tried to be more patient with people um, and, and understanding that people might make mistakes. Maybe yeah. I can get more frustrated with people if they keep repeating the same mistakes over and yeah. over again. But again, that could come from a lack of coaching, a lack of uh, development uh, from the companies. I yeah, I, I think I think uh, you know a lot of times in lean we say you know reflection is important. Well, to me, this is one of the very important aspects of reflection is really stepping back because um, you've been involved with this enough. You know, a lot of times it seems very clunky going through this, and people you know I work with or people that come to our summits we talk to it seems very clunky. And I'll suggest to them is well, really step back and really reflect on what you've got accomplished. And typically, what you find, even though it's been somewhat painful and clunky at times, and you've had a lot of you know seemingly failures. If you really do a good deep reflection on where you were a month ago, six months ago, two years ago, you really discover is you know we've actually made some very good progress. Still have a long ways to go, but we've actually made a lot of progress. And again, you should be, you should look back and be you know thank you should be humbled by it. you should be thankful for it. We have made progress. Well, okay, well let's let's keep moving forward because we are making more. Pro you usually make more progress in the way you feel that you're making progress, which is why the reflection aspect is important. Right. Well, Jim, thank you for being a guest um, once again here on the podcast. Um, the Lean Accounting Summit, uh, again, is coming up in uh, August, August 25th and 26th in San Antonio. Uh, LeanFrontiers.com yes. is uh, the website. And any other recommendations about where uh, people can find you and Lean Frontiers online? Yeah, 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 certainly. If you just uh, if you just Google Lean Frontiers, you'll find our website, and at the Lean Frontiers website, you'll find links to the different summits: the Lean Accounting Summit, Lean Management Summit. You know, with uh, you know, with what, who's all going to be there speaking, and the different breakouts and subject that's going to be talked about. So you can go there and and find out all that information. And uh, and yeah, I appreciate you having me on here. I always like always very much enjoy talking with you, and look forward to having you at the Lean Accounting Summit in uh, in August. And and uh, you sharing, uh, you know, your experience with everybody. Yeah, well, thanks. I appreciate you having me out there um, to, to be part of that community and uh, another good opportunity uh, to see you and the rest of the team. So, uh, again, our guest has been Jim Hunsinger. Thanks uh, for joining us today. All right. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>